afternoon, universe, and welcome to another Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, where we break down the stronghold bad opinions and false notions of the enemy and set up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and together we are studying Christian dogma, the truth, devoted to the belief that when God speaks, we can hear, we can understand, and we can speak his word back to him with that same truth undefiled. St. Paul exhorts all Christians, hunger for the truth, watch your doctrine and your life closely, persevere in this, for the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine but instead will turn aside to suit their own desires, gathering around them a great number of teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, hold firmly the trustworthy message as it has been taught, and I believe he says so, encourage others as well, because doctrine, truth, it's good for your soul. I have as my guest today, uh, Pastor Andrew Preuss, Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, and Pastor Paul Preuss, Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota. We're going to be talking about Dr. Peeper's Christian Dogmatics, picking up on page 31. Uh, welcome, gentlemen. Thank, Thank you. So where we left off last week, we're going to, going to repeat a little bit of that to get a running start here. And what's brought us all the way to this point, Peeper is, is distinguishing. There's two religions in the world, the religion of works, the religion of grace, the religion of law, the religion of gospel. All the other religions of the world that aren't Christianity are the religion of law, the religion of works. All the divisions within Christianity are based on that false religion of works trying to make its way into Christianity. And the way that they do this is more recently, in the modern times especially, they attack the sufficiency or the perspicuity of Scripture so that once they've uh, unhinged our trust in Scripture, they can in unhinge our trust in the vicarious satisfaction that is the substitutionary atonement, that is Jesus being the purchase price, the ransom, his blood paying for our sins. And that's kind of where he's he's picking up here at the top of page 31, where he says there are uncounted divergencies, he means in the church that we see in the world, in the traditions of Christianity, the denominations. These divergencies being due to the differences in the religious individualities of the dogmaticians or in the degree of their scientific consistency, which is to say you have a lot of divergence or, or diversity in the churches that you see out there that are really a result of their theologians and their personalities and their perspectives, but they have a unity that we would say the heterodox churches have a unity. At one point, the moderns meet. As with great unanimity, they have discarded a holy scripture as the one only source and standard of Christian dog doctrine. So with great unanimity, they repudiate the scripture doctrine of satisfaction, uh, satisfactio vicaria, the vicarious satisfaction. And so necessarily also the scripture doctrine of justification by faith without deeds of the law. Now, there are other church bodies out there we would still call heterodox, that is, they have some false teaching in them. Uh, but this is sort of like the, the big difference between the modern world and, and the Reformation world. The modern world wants to be all about reason, all about moving forward, and as a result, rejects Scripture, rejects the atonement, whereas at least... The real children of the Reformation, whether they're Calvinists or confessional Baptists, at least they're not going to be letting go of, of this much, right? It comes down to whether they, I think it begins with whether they fear God. You know, the, the psalmist says and the proverb says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. And so we, we talked about this uh, a few months ago, I think when we spoke, that it really comes down to authority. 
the the scriptures denying the authority of the scriptures is going to go hand in hand with denying God's authority and so a, a lot of times this this denial of the vicarious satisfaction that Christ satisfied God's wrath in in the place of sinful mankind it assumes uh, that well, th- this doctrine assumes that we are actually accountable to God and that we must fear him and that this isn't just our own experience um, of something negative as we encounter God, but it is actually an objective reality that God's wrath comes against the sons of disobedience and that and that the righteousness of Christ needs to avail before him. If you reject out of hand that need to fear God and his wrath against sin, um, that's going to go right hand in hand with rejecting the, uh, the 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 validity of the scriptures, the need to believe in the scriptures. So they they're it makes sense that they're both going to go hand in hand. So so those so to, so basically your your question then we can at least rely on people to re, to believe these two things uh, for them to be able to be uh, orthodox. I think that uh, that you do find that in in uh, in heterodox. Communions. I think that. I think some of Peeper's point here is that if we're ever going to find unity in the church, this is the starting point. Like once you've sure. rejected Scripture and the vicarious atonement, you can't even be in the conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And that's actually how I begin conversations when I um, talk to folks that um, have disagreements with, let's say, the Lutheran Church on what we teach. I said we we need to start here. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? that it is authoritative and that all of our discussions will be settled by scripture. And do you also believe that all of scripture is centered on Christ, faith in Christ and the atoning sacrifice of Christ? If not, then where are we going to end here? Yeah, and some of my best conversations I've had, best theological conversations I've had, have been with uh, people who are not Lutheran. Now, most of my yes. great theological conversations are with people who are Lutheran, who understand the the the, the truth of the scriptures. But often, I I, I come across people who uh, have been misled on certain certain issues, are in heterodox communions, but they they believe that the Bible is true, yes. and they believe that God is to be feared, and so they, so these two things. Are really going to uh, go a long way um, in 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 talking to someone. I remember a friend of mine, uh, our first year out of seminary, which now we're going on ten plus years ago, in his congregation that was a Missouri Synod congregation. In one of the first Bible studies, I don't think it was the first one, but within just a couple of weeks, he was having to defend the doctrine of the Trinity to them. They didn't believe that it was true or necessary to believe. This is a Missouri Synod congregation. I won't tell you where. But he was lamenting to me on on the phone as we were kind of talking through this. He would have rather been called to his wife's Pentecostal church because there he could have opened the Bible and said, see, the Bible says this, the Bible says this, the Bible says this. And they would have been like, oh, well, the Bible <laughs> says that. Whereas yeah. in this Missouri Synod church that had gone modern, had gone liberal, he opened up the Bible and they just said, well, that's just your interpretation. That's uh, and and it's it's postmodernism, uh, which Peeper doesn't talk about postmodernism as such, um, but we can certainly see the the development of postmodernism uh, as uh, in what Peeper is going after, and that Peeper is going after this ego theology, that uh, that everything is based on your own experience, 
And that's what that's what that's the air that our people uh, have been, even our most pious people, and we ourselves uh, are breathing and have been breathing for over a century. Yeah, and I would say that this is a a reason we should be very angry at false doctrine is the confusion that it has created um, amongst our people to not trust the authority of God is they think that many people have this perception. Um, we, I think we talked about this before is that uh, Lutherans have their perspective and then the Methodists have their perspective and the Roman Catholics have their perspective. And so what is to uh, say that, that we have the truth? But if we actually believe the Bible is the word of God and that we can settle our disputes according to the word of God and that the word of God actually creates fellowship is not the, is, uh, the, the, the source of all the division in our denominations is false doctrine. It is um, those that have gone against the clear uh, words of God. Uh, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here, but it's um, if, if we do not hold uh, to the Bible being authoritative and that everything it tells us um, is the truth. Uh, and if we do not hold our pastors accountable to this and our, and our, um, and our congregations, our church uh, accountable uh, to this, we are uh, basically going to re reduce everything to everyone's um, opinion. And it doesn't really matter uh, what, you, what you believe. And, and the real danger in that, I, I think you, you're quite right there, Pastor Preuss, the, the, the danger is that there is not a single division in the church that actually is just a matter of opinion. It is either, you either have God's truth or you got the devil's own lie. You have satanic yeah, teaching, you. right? And so, yeah. and it isn't as clear or as simple as let's just say, let's let's pick a, a whipping boy here. Uh, whether or not you have a, a piano accompanying your hymns uh, rather than an organ, it's not as clear as that because it's really about law and gospel. And in some levels, it's do you actually believe that without piano accompanying your hymn, it isn't really going to give you the word of God? See, because now you've you've inserted a work of man into the question of your relationship with God, that we need this more than word and sacrament in order to truly be Christians. And that that angle, it's not about the piano or the organ, but that angle of, of making our works more valuable or having them infringe on the value of the atonement and take away a little bit of it from Jesus' cross, that's what the devil's lie wants to do because then he can etch at your conscience and start to make you wonder whether or not you're really, well, in God or in saved in Christ. Yeah, and, and I think what that... That uh, uh, example that you just gave about the piano, it really demonstrates how relevant doctrine always is because it really comes down to what you believe is of most important. What do you believe is the one thing needful and is the and is the greatest treasure? And so, I mean, if so, if if you are really going to make a huge fuss, you know, to continue on the uh, on the example of the piano, if you're going to make a huge fuss over we need to have a piano uh, to the point where you would actually be willing to disband the congregation, right. split the congregation so that people oh. can't hear 
the pure word of God. Well, that shows you where your heart is, there your treasure is. And so this it does become a doctrinal issue, even in little things like that. So Adiaphora ceases to be Adiaphora when it when it tries to make itself a justifying factor in the life of the church. And, and that's kind of what, yeah. what Peeper's getting at, because it will eventually attack that vicarious atonement one way or the other, even if you don't know it, even if it's just in your conscience. And that's kind of where he's going to go next with dealing with practice, and that you don't always see it spoken, but you do see false teaching or the rejection of the salvation of Christ practiced. And and this next segment here is, is pretty pretty tough stuff, really. He says, the question arises here, whether the Christian faith can exist side by side with the refusal to accept Scripture as the Word of God and with the denial of the vicarious satisfaction, the answer is no, not if men reduce their teaching to practice, which is to say that it's only a matter of time. Once you have rejected the inerrancy of Scripture, you will reject the vicarious satisfaction. Once you have rejected the vicarious satisfaction, your practice will lead you into justification by works, and you will eventually believe in it so much that you will effectively be outside the faith. It, it, it's, it's stark. It's a stark warning. It, it, it sure is. Um, you know, I've been taking my members through... Uh, a Bible class every other Tuesday about um, the differences between the ELCA and the um, LCMS, uh, and there are a lot of a lot of these uh, members have older friends that are in the ELCA where they say that they don't believe all what the ELCA teaches. But I've tried to stress to them, what about their children? What do their children believe? And we know this from from experience too um, in our generation talking to those within the ELCA and that they have essentially rejected uh, the vicarious uh, atonement. They have uh, reduced sin to simply, um, (laughs) sin has been basically taken out of the picture. It's uh, God made you this way. There's no need, there's no need for repentance. uh, And so there's no need for the Christ of, of Holy scripture. And this all came from their rejection uh, of the word of God. Um, and it's it's tragic, but we we see evidence of this happening in our in our in our own world here. Yeah, and and really, what is it? It really does come down to then the desire of of the heart. Why does someone reject the authority and inerrancy and inspiration of the scriptures? Uh, what he's the reason why is because he is setting his own wisdom or the wisdom of man against the wisdom of God. He's, he's, he's subordinating God's wisdom to man's wisdom, and that is essentially what works righteousness is. And, and all of the things that we can see in the, uh, the, that, that have overcome these liberal church bodies like the ELCA and the Episcopalians and the Presbyterians, uh, all of these things can be traced back to their denial of the scriptures as the inerrant inspired uh, word of God, uh, because they at that moment, whether that was a generation or two ago, uh, at that moment decided where their authority, uh, where the authority lies, where their wisdom lies. And where their, where their and, trust uh, lies, where their faith lies. Where faith lies, exactly, yeah. And, then, and it's gonna manifest itself then in, in the most debased kind of things. I mean, people are so are so uh, scandalized by and surprised that uh, when the ELCA, for example, allowed uh, uh, allowed homosexuals to 
to uh, to be pastors, you know, back in 2009, and it made everyone's making a big deal out of it. I remember at that time thinking, I am not surprised at all. I thought they already did this because, first of all, <laughs> they they've been ordaining women since their existence. They have denied the inerrancy of Scripture since their existence, and to top it off, I grew up in northern Minnesota, where all of the ELCA, all the girls I talked to in my class who went to the local ELCA church in town, which wasn't particularly liberal compared to other ELCA churches, they all believed that homosexuality was perfectly fine, that abortion was a woman's choice, and all this stuff. I mean, they were as liberal as 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 they come. So. It really shouldn't surprise us that when you give free reign to the sinful nature, that the sinful nature um, takes full advantage of it sooner or later. It shouldn't surprise us. The irony to me is that uh, to be a conservative in in this sense, in the ELCA, that is to let all of these other false teachings not be a big deal, but then to say homosexuality, that's wrong, that is to truly be a bigot. You actually are one. (laughs) <laughs> you don't believe in good and evil. You just are biased against one particular set of sins that you think is worse than others. And so, strangely enough, uh, the accusation from the liberals against them is is correct. And it's it's a bed they've made for themselves. It should be a warning to us that we can easily make that bed ourselves as well. Because it, it does come down to not wanting to use scripture against the wisdom of the world that is against the status quo against what people think is okay but are are sacred cows and have become uh have become uh means that uh, that that uh take them away from god's truth uh the word of god may as may as well be uh with errors and not be god's word uh if you're not going to use it if you're not going to assert it and so we should take that warning as well, that if we are not actually going to confess the word of God and teach it, well, then it might as well be, you know, just just a, a symbol of, of, of some, some irrelevant tradition. He says then in the next kind of sentence within the paragraph, basically that this is only common sense. It only makes sense that once you reject scripture being trustworthy, you're going to reject what scripture says. Why would you not? If men, here, there's the quote, if men refuse to believe Christ and his apostles when they declare that scripture is the inviolable word of God, I don't believe it when Jesus says that, will they not also, to remain consistent, refuse to believe what Christ and his apostles teach concerning the saviorship of Christ? And this is where this kind of does connect that in my mind to what people was doing before by talking about the, the Romanist and the Reformed and their trouble or the trouble we would have with them and their doctrine all coming down to one place or other in Scripture where you unhinge yourself from a, a certain set of words. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat up on the Reformed here, the Zwingli at least, uh, by saying, you no, know, he took that word is and this is my body, and he said, well, it means maybe, or, or kind of, or sort of in a spiritual way. And then you track that idea down through history, and you end up saying, well, is a day really a day? Who can say if morning and evening yeah. really means 24 hours? Is marriage really marriage? You know, who can really say? It all comes back to that initial movement to say that Jesus and his word can't really be entirely trusted on his face value. You know, this is uh, Luther is seeing really what the core problem is of uh, what we what we see in things like higher criticism, Mm -hmm. that higher criticism claims to be a different interpretation of the Bible. 
And so, so they're, you know, they're, they're the, the whole time they're saying, well, this is just how we interpret the Bible. So essentially there's no difference between a higher critic and a Zwinglian when it, because a Zwing, you know, as, as far as the Lord's Supper goes, because the Zwinglian is insisting on a certain interpretation that has that that has certain presuppositions, namely that Jesus cannot possibly mean that uh, that that a piece of bread is his body. Well, there there that's precisely the problem that we have with the higher critical uh, method of interpreting scripture, because the higher critical method of interpreting scripture assumes that the truth of the scripture is dependent upon the historical investigation of man. And so both really, uh, Luther is really dealing with uh, the same kind of error that we deal with today. And we should be on our guard uh, on all levels. But I mean, Pieper as well. And Pieper is looking at, I mean, Pieper is, is uh, uh, you know, he's responding to those who actually are straight up denying, I mean, you know, the scriptures. You got Schleiermacher uh, who has, uh, you know, Schleiermacher is the father of liberal Protestantism in the, you know, in the 18, in the 1800s, who, you know, you, this is, it, it is, it has been long, the enlightenment has already happened. It has been long accepted uh, among theologians that the Bible is not the word of God. But I'm saying that even going all the way back to Luther in the 16th century, when no one said that, no one said, the Zwinglians would not say that the Bible was not the word of God, that the Bible had errors in it. But essentially they have the same error because they're assuming something about the scriptures. And so you might as well say that the scriptures uh, have errors if you are going to treat them the way that the Zwinglians treat the words of Christ. Yeah, that's, that's a really right. good that, point there. Go ahead, and Paul. that comes down to the fear of fear of God, Andrew, that you had, had said before, is that there's not, there's not this fear of God um, that what you are reading um, is not something of your own creation. It's not something that uh, that uh, um, says what it says because of your interpretation of it. It is what God says. It reminds me when the Sadducees came to test Jesus and uh, told the story about the woman who was married to seven different men, and then they quote Moses. And they see, Moses said that she'd be married. Uh, we had to do this, and so we did it. So what's going to happen? Obviously, there can't be a resurrection because Moses said that, you know, we had to give people in marriage after death. And and Jesus just kind of, you can see him stern and a little pissed off and just says, you know, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. That's your problem. Yeah, you know, exactly. you're, you're trying to undo what you see with your reason rather than trusting that even if you don't understand it, it's still good for you. Yeah. So, so when Jesus is responding to the Sadducees, the Sadducees believe the books of Moses. They don't, re, they don't believe any of the other books of the old Testament. So they only accept the books of Moses. And so Jesus is uh, demonstrating to them uh, really what Jesus is preaching against is this idea that when we read the scriptures, we are reading a rule book where we are investigating to find uh, what the rules are. And, and if we're not, if the scriptures do not tell us in a way that we are satisfied with, you know, uh, uh, namely about the resurrection or any other article of faith, well, then we are, uh, then the scriptures just aren't clear on that. And so we can then uh, say that we're right and, and, and our opponents are wrong. But Jesus turns it around on them and says, no, basically he teaches them to repent before the scriptures and to humble themselves before the scriptures and say, the scriptures actually have to teach you the power of God. And, and, and they're not, they're, the scriptures are not there to just 
serve you by giving you your proper proof texts, uh, whether or not the, there is a resurrection, but rather the scriptures are teaching you of the power of God. And so listen more carefully when the scriptures are speaking. I love that idea of repenting before the scriptures. Um, I guess Pastor mm-hmm. Andrew yeah. Preuss and his brother, Pastor Paul Preuss, talking about the one thing that divides Christianity, rejection of scripture, which leads to rejection of the atonement, which leads to a replacing of the gospel with the law in one way, shape, or form, even if it's just in practice. We'll come back on the other side of this break to take that up a little bit more. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Stick around. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Liturgical art is a beautiful expression of Christ's great love for us. I'm Kelly Schumacher, founder of Ani's Day Arts, and I would like to help you learn about liturgical art and the beauty it portrays as you view it through paintings, drawings, sculptures, and altarpieces. I'm available to speak with your group. My website is anusdayarts.com, A-G-N-U-S-D-E-I-Arts.com. This week on His Time's Daily Lectionary Study, we look at Luke chapter 7 and 8. Jesus continues both doing miracles and teaching, and the conflict with the Pharisees begins to rise. His parables only serve to confuse people, but that doesn't stop him from calming storms and casting out demons. Join us to rightly distinguish law and gospel at 8 a.m. every weekday morning on Worldwide KFUO and the hour before for your morning drive for the soul. You listen to Worldwide KFUO often. You try not to miss your favorite program because you benefit from the gospel message proclaimed. But have you shared KFUO with your friends and family? It's easy to do. Just like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash KFUO radio and share us. You can email your friends or family an audio link of one of your favorite programs and let them hear for themselves. Share KFUO and help spread the gospel to the world. That's the good news in the messenger of good news. Worldwide KFUO. A noble lion, hobbits, all are characters and settings in classic novels for children and adults filled with imagination and replete with biblical imagery. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and the meek and humble hobbits assigned to save the world with several storylines alluding to themes from the Bible. Or the allegory in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia depicting a noble lion who's killed and resurrected to save his kingdom. In The Last Battle, Lucy says, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. Referencing the story of Jesus' birth found in the Gospel of Luke. When C.S. Lewis was asked to suggest an approach to spark the creation of Christian literature that might influence a generation, he said, I have no recipe, no tablets. The New Testament shows the greatest variety. God has shown us that he can use any instrument. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. 
Right now, you can double the impact of your giving to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They got their dollar-for-dollar match. It's back. A fantastic opportunity to help new Christians, new Lutherans in places like Slovakia, Mongolia, and Japan have at their fingertips fantastic biblical resources like the Small Catechism, a children's garden of Bible stories, and Good News Magazine. Did you know that the cost to translate and print one small catechism in a foreign language is only $5? Now imagine just how far that $5 goes as a tool put into the hands of a faithful pastor to help his people learn the language of the Bible, the importance of confessing the same faith once for all delivered to the saints, and of course that proper distinction between law and gospel, that the gospel is that Jesus wants you to be his own and live under him in his kingdom, which is of course why he shed his precious blood for you. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation is working in over 105 languages with over 840 titles published in 95 of those languages. I'm not kidding when I say they're doing phenomenal work all around the globe, and they are certainly worth contacting and supporting with your mission giving. You can learn more about the Lutheran Heritage Foundation at lhfmissions.org. That's lhfmissions.org. Come on, just go ahead right now. Head over, give them five bucks. That'll get two catechisms translated and printed. Totally worth your time. Welcome back to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO. Pastor Jonathan Fisk here talking with Pastor Andrew Preuss and Pastor Paul Preuss about Christian dogma, about the center of our Christianity resting on the trustworthiness of Scripture because that's where it is established for us, the saving work of Jesus Christ, which distinguishes us as a people of the gospel over and against those who would rely on some kind of law, man-made or God-given, by which they would save themselves rather than trusting in their Lord. Uh, in in talking about here again that once you've rejected the vicarious satisfaction of Jesus, you're effectively outside of Christianity. And yet, Peeper here within one paragraph, he's both, as Lutherans always are, the meanest and the nicest at the same time. He says, you can't deny this and be a Christian, but it is possible to accidentally uh, not realize that you've denied it or deny it and not realize that you still are accidentally believing in something else. And so he says this, he says, it can happen, however, and it has happened that a person who in theory has denied the inspiration of Scripture and the vicarious satisfaction of Christ does by faith accept the remission of his sins in the hour of affliction and in the agony of death, basing his faith on the word of Scripture and on the vicarious atonement of Christ. But thereby, he relinquishes and disavows his former sectarian belief, by which he has separated himself from the church, continues in the words of Christ, and knows of no other foundation for the assurance of God's grace than the redemption wrought by Christ Jesus. Uh, which is to say that within this war of saint and sinner within us, it is possible for somebody who really gets all the way to the to the edge of actually stating heresy to, to have their faith still alive and then in an hour of, of need, not look to the heresy, but look to the orthodoxy of Christ crucified for their sins. It's not a, a road you want to go down, but it is possible. Well, this is the this is the irony, and this was so great and exciting about reading Peeper here because he just in the previous pages or page and pages, uh, he he has been he's been going after this idea of basing truth on the ego or on experience. Now here he touches on what Luther teaches uh, that that experience actually makes a theologian. So we don't base our truth the truth of God's word 
upon, or we don't base truth in general uh, upon our own experience. But at the same time, you cannot really know the truth of God's word apart from experience. That is apart from the afflictions where you need, where you find no other place to to go than to the clear fountain of Israel, to the word of God, to the vicarious satisfaction of Christ. And so it, it, it really, he does show the irony here that someone uh, would reject the scriptures and uh, as an you know, as as inspired and and the and the vicarious satisfaction. Well, why? Because he's basing truth on what his own reason is telling him, or on what his own experience is telling him. And yet, the irony is that through his own experience of agony, God teaches him then to cling only to His word. So that's what's so marvelous about this. I don't know if anyone's uh, either of you have read that uh, on Lutheran Press. Uh, has that uh, how to identify Christian people, uh, but Luther, um, you know, points that out just how how wonderful it is that even within um, the heterodox is that God's word um, works faith, um, even in the midst of this heterodoxy, the word of God works, and that word of God again is going to be centered on the vicarious atonement. So despite all the error, thank God is that these these people cling to. Uh, the truth of God's word, the truth of, of Jesus uh, uh, crucified for us, um, etc. Uh, it's a it, it's a comfort um, it's a comfort, but it's a dangerous road to go down. As uh, Pastor Fisk said, is what can happen if someone embraces uh, the false doctrine is that they can cling to that instead of instead of the truth. Yeah, it's a comfort, but it's not an excuse. And, and the danger being that in that moment of agony, the, the experience of pain or fear or suffering or, or death, that you would have removed yourself so far from the Word of God that it isn't within you anymore. You haven't heard it for a long time, and the only thing you have left to cling to is your works, and, well, that's just not going to go well. Yeah, it reminds me of a story that I heard a number of years ago, and I don't know if it's true, but uh, supposedly a, a Roman Catholic was um, on his deathbed and he, he was supposed to die. And uh, the, the preacher, the priest said to him, he said, just forget everything. Look to Christ and how he atoned for your sins. And, uh, and then the guy recovered and he became a Lutheran. It reminds me of Luther's father confessor when he was still a monk. Uh, is it Johann Staupitz who, who said yeah. effectively when Luther was struggling in, in the dark night of his soul with all of the efforts to keep the Roman Catholic law that he was doing, Staupitz just said, uh, stop. Look to Jesus. He's your answer. And this was him preaching the gospel to Luther and keeping him in the faith until he found that in Scripture, being the main thing Scripture says. And also, I didn't read the entire book, but there was a book on Paul written by uh, Pope Benedict. This is the previous pope, not the current one. A little bit more of a scholar, a little bit more of a well-spoken pope than the current one, in my opinion. Uh, and, and in this book on Paul, he goes through you know a treatment of all of Paul's epistles and is, is very carefully making his claim for the doctrine of, of justification as it's taught in the Roman Catholic Church. But then near the end of the book, he has this like little, it's almost a throwaway line. But he effectively says, when all is said and done, what do we have but Jesus? And, and it's like, holy moly, Pope. <laughs> you know, don't you realize? Don't you realize this is what the Lutherans have been trying to say all along? I think that'd make a great uh, T-shirt. Holy moly, Pope. <laughs> 
So he, he continues then moving back into this direction of division, right? And the next paragraph, as our examination of the major divisions in the church has shown, and so we've already shown this now, it's established, there is but one cause of the divisions within the visible church. That is the refusal to abide by scripture as the only source and standard of Christian doctrine. And in consequence of this substitution in one form or another of the doctrine of works for the Christian doctrine of salvation by grace. And he's shown this with Rome. He's shown this with the Reformed. You have to go back and listen to former episodes if you want to pick up on that. But at the risk of of beating a dead horse, I mean, it's the same thing again. We only have one thing we can trust. And once we let go of Scripture, what value is the gospel? How can we know it's true? The Scriptures are true. And so... I mean that, and that, and that they're written there. They're revealed by the Holy Spirit, and and uh, and this and this, the same Spirit who rose, who raised Jesus from the dead. Moving forward, then he, he kind of changes directions here a little bit, and says we must answer the question whether the Lutheran Church should be numbered with the divisions, factions, and sects. S e c t s. And and so the question is: Lutheranism a sect? To, um, and what does that mean? What does it mean to be a sect? I think we've got to define the term there a little bit. To be a sect is to be a group that claims to be Orthodox Christianity, but has in fact got error within it and is divided from the visible church that's the, the true visible church. Would you guys agree with that definition of a sect? Yeah, where he says, uh, you know, the church body which has established itself as a separate organization on the base of unscriptural doctrine. Yeah. Okay, so so an example of this, you know, would would be, you know, the congregational church. You know, what what are they? What is unique about the congregational church? Well, nothing. I mean, really, they're either they're really liberal, and so they're like any other liberal Protestant, or they're Baptists. But why are they congregational? Well, because they believe in a congregational piety or a polity. Well, that is an example of a sect. Someone who who they have their own group. But what is the defining feature of their group? Why are they not part of this broader group that denies baptismal regeneration and the and the and uh, the bondage of the will and the Lord's Supper? Well, because they have this little hobby horse that they're that they're sticking to, which is not scriptural at all. So that I think is a a good uh, example of a sect. I mean, that's why we uh, were, with our confessions, we are so clear to show that we are not a, a sect, that what we teach is in accordance with um, Holy Scripture. Uh, for the Lutherans to be called a sect is disingenuous because uh, we have clearly shown from, from Scripture that everything we uh, believe is in accordance with it. There's a danger. There's always a danger. And I think that this is, you know, we should never just sit there in the judgment seat against the sects uh, without examining ourselves uh, as well. And so you look at, there, there can be, the, the idea that fellowship would be based on anything but doctrine. Uh, that, that fellowship would be based, even if you're if you're saying fellowship is based on a an agreement that we've had to walk together. Well, and I know that we've talked about this before uh, a while back, but that is sectarian because you are not basing it on doctrine, on the clear words of God. And so 
the the so so there's one of the one of the dangers also, and we kind of walk a, a thin line here because I don't want to say that we that that there's no cultural element to being Lutheran. There are cultural things. I mean, we did kind of come out of Germany, and then there's a Scandinavian aspect to it as well. I mean, I don't want I don't think that it's good to ignore the the culture which has which has been given to the church, which the church has kind of picked up um, and and uh, as it has 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 lived uh, in the world. Uh, but at the same time, we got to be careful that we don't identify being Lutheran as being, you know, well, Lutherans sit in the back of the church. Well, yeah, Methodists do too. <laughs> You know, uh, you know, or Lutherans drink beer. It's like, well, met, no, they don't. Uh, but you know, but you know, the heathen do as well. So it's not, you know, it's it, there. We have to identify what the actual defining features of being Lutheran is, and really, it's it's being scriptural. I think you give another good example there, or a good definition of a sect as a group that is giving more credence to their culture than to what they believe. Their history, their tradition is bigger than what the scriptures say. And to ask the question of whether or not a Lutheran, big category, is sectarian, as you just said and Peeper's about to say, you got to define what you even mean by that term. So on page 32, uh, Peeper recognizes, you know, Lutheran is a, is a catch-all phrase now that sort of lost its meaning. He says, the discussion of this matter will have no point until we are agreed on the meaning of the terms Lutheran church and sect. By Lutheran Church, now he's going to define it for how he is using it. He says, we do not mean all church bodies that call themselves Lutheran, but only those that actually teach and confess the Lutheran doctrine as it is taught and confessed in the confessions of the Lutheran Church. And by sects, we mean church bodies which have established themselves as separate organizations on the basis of unscriptural doctrine. And the terms being thus understood, the Lutheran Church is certainly not a sect, since it does not stand for doctrines of its own, but simply confesses and teaches that which, according to God's will and order, all Christians should confess and teach. Mm -hmm. This is the ecumenical character of the Church of the Reformation. So, I mean, it's possible for us to not be a Lutheran church and think we are, but if you are truly a Lutheran church, you're just going to confess what Scripture says, and so by definition, you can't be a sect at that point. And and this is, you know, we, we should always have this in mind, because it's, it's, it's a good... It's it's not a bad thing to celebrate the 50th or 100th anniversary of your church, uh, of your congregation, or even of your synod. You know, that's th those are those are fine things. But it's easy to slip into a parochialism uh, where you simply you're you're celebrating the existence of an organization rather than celebrating the faithfulness to God's word. And, and, and that's, that's something that we always need to be on our guard against. Um, you know, the same type of uh, sectarianism could be, could, could be expressed when someone shows up to church uh, who, hasn't, who, who has, has not been in church in, in years and years and years and expects to take communion because this is where he was confirmed and baptized. Mm -hmm. He's treating those things as trivial things that are just simply uh, sentimental attachments to the church, rather than coming and saying, this is what I believe and confess. I want to commune here because I believe this stuff, and I want to confess my uh, the, the true faith of God's word with you. 
So then the next thing he says is going to kind of go in a different direction to make sure that, that no one under, understands him to be saying that Lutherans are the only Christians. So he says the Lutheran church does not set itself up as the one and only church, but acknowledges that there are children of God also, and those denominations in which, besides the doctrines of men, enough gospel is still proclaimed to produce faith in Christ as the only Redeemer. Uh, like I said a moment ago, we're the meanest and the nicest at the exact same time. On the other hand, the Lutheran Church claims to be the church of the pure doctrine. That is, it claims that its doctrine agrees in all points with Holy Scripture and should, according to God's will, be believed and accepted by all. And it's, I think on the one hand, I believe that to be true, that the Lutheran Church is the one that has the doctrine that is in accord with Scripture. That is, when we say doctrine, we mean what Scripture actually says, and therefore all Christians should agree with it. On the other hand, I can't I can't imagine being a Christian in a church that doesn't think that of itself, and yet that's exactly the crazy thing that you find in our modern age, is churches that don't make that claim. They don't claim to have the only truth or to have the doctrine that everybody else should believe, which is just bizarre to me. It's very bizarre, and it's 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 terrifying, too, because people then don't— uh, it, they, 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 it takes away from the certainty of their salvation. You know, certainty of faith cannot be separated from certainty of doctrine. You know, faith is something that we necessarily are going to reflect upon because, because we are human beings. We have minds. And, and St. Paul tells us that, that we should, that our minds should be renewed. And so how can your mind be renewed? How can your mind be given that certainty if you don't actually know whether what you are being taught is true? You know, my sheep hear, hear my voice. Uh, you know, we as Christians learn to know the, the, the voice of our shepherd. And it just seems so, so crazy to be able to go to a, a congregation that doesn't have the voice of your shepherd, which actually has a voice that uh, um, attacks the, the shepherd. Uh, yet in in the midst of that, it's 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 a miracle is that uh, some uh, cling to to the the truth of, of Christ crucified if it's proclaimed. Uh, I, I'm just so scared. I don't I know that uh, we will say that there are Christians outside of the Lutheran Church, but it seems to be coming to the point and I, maybe I'm just ignorant about how bad it was in the past. But it seems like a lot of these churches, there's no mention of it at all. And so I don't know how does the Holy Spirit work faith, bring people to trust in Christ if it's not proclaimed at all. Yeah, you're, you're right on there in this in this regard. Paper says this is in churches where there is enough gospel still proclaimed and I think we have to stand and say that those kinds of churches do exist outside Lutheranism today sure. in the United States and in the world, but it is by no means the majority. <laughs> um, it sure isn't. Yeah, it's not what you see when you go into the Christian bookstore. You are hard-pressed to find Christ there. You might, and you can, and there are denominations and bodies that, that do, do preach that, but your average run-of-the-mill local community church if you just take a random scatter shot at it, I, I wouldn't put money on it that I'm going to hear about Jesus actually dying for me that week when I go to visit. Well, yeah. and, you know, with this uh, this whole um, as you going off what you said before about that most churches don't actually believe that they have the full truth, but that, you know they're just kind of one tradition. 
Well, what inevitably happens, and we see this all the time, is that their focus and their real message is not Christ. It's themselves. It's us. They have to sell themselves. And so you look on, I mean, it just breaks my heart when I look on, even even on uh, some uh, Missouri Synod Church websites, where the entire thing is about themselves. Yeah. It's about how they're a friendly down-to-earth, laid-back kind of environment, and we, we, uh, we're we just kind of trying to figure things out and saying stuff like that in kind of an uncertain way, as though they're trying to, they're trying to attract this, this postmodern relativist kind of uh, cultural mind uh, that, that doesn't actually want to assert with certainty what is true, but, and so they inevitably then try to draw them by talking about themselves and and this is what I remember seeing an ELCA uh, a video. It was like an advertisement of the ELCA on on YouTube, and it was probably three minutes long. And there was a bunch of people talking about what does the ELCA mean to you, and you know of course there they had lots of diversity. Uh, you got some people on there who are clearly homosexuals, you know, and and all this kind of they're showing to the world uh, that that the ELCA is so great. Not one mention of Christ in the entire video, yeah. which again shouldn't surprise us because that's the inevitably what's going to happen when you reject the scripture alone and when you when you try to uh, say that you don't you can't really know the truth. That's effectively Peeper's point this entire time is that once you reject yeah. scripture, that's where you're going to get. And it might take a short time, it might take a long time, but eventually you're going to be making videos saying we're the church, but never mentioning Jesus. And you know you know what's kind of uh, sad and uh, ironic is that we, we are generous in saying uh, that those that hear the word of God, hear in the heterodox, hear Christ proclaimed, at least at some point, you are still members of the, the Holy Spirit. Christian church, uh, yet we are accused of saying that no one is a Christian outside of the Lutheran church, and then they turn around and say that we are the hypocrites, we're the unloving ones, we're not the true Christians. So they won't have the same generosity to us who actually have the pure uh, gospel uh, proclaimed in our midst uh, consistently. Uh, they won't give us the same generosity. The scandal of particularity, uh, it is scandalous. It is offensive. Uh, they hated it when Jesus spoke it. They hate it when we speak it. Well, yeah, yeah. So this is uh, what you hear a lot. I mean, you hear the word bigot thrown around or hateful. Wait, think about these terms. If you are hateful, that means that you are not a Christian. You know, I mean, if that is how you are defining someone, if you are going to define someone as a hateful person, then you're saying the person has a demon. The person's heart is hardened against his brother and that, that, that he's condemned, you know, and this is so it really is remarkable that I think that Paul makes a great point that that the irony then is in their attempt to be uh, to be liberal, to be uh, to be generous to the world. They end up being absolutely ruthless to those who are supposed to be their brothers. Yeah. Yeah, that's really well said. And and to bring this home with just about two minutes here, I love the humility that Peeper finally kind of tacks onto the back end of this thing with this just next sentence. He says, the proof for this ecumenical character of the Lutheran church, that is the proof that we have the right doctrine and that we are nonetheless generous and realize we're not the only Christians out there, 
The proof, of course, must and can be furnished by way of induction by submitting every one of its doctrines to the test test of scripture. So basically he says, look, I've just asserted this. I've asserted that we have the truth. We have what scripture really says and others don't. Some of them are Christians and some of them are not. And here's where all that goes. But you don't, you can't just take my word for it. Now we got true doctrine. Therefore we got true doctrine. The answer is now you have to go and you have to look at, well, what do we say the scriptures say and compare it to what the scriptures actually say and find out if we actually are speaking the same words. And that's what the rest of of this three-volume series is is going to do. Yeah, so just to wrap it up, I mean, it really does come down to whether you are trusting the wisdom of the scriptures or whether you're trusting the wisdom of man. And those two roads are the two religions of the world because one extols the merits of Christ and the other extols the merits of man. You know, it's either trust man or trust uh, trust man's word or, or God's words. Uh, that's why a Lutheran pastor, uh, an evangelical Lutheran pastor, will tell his people is test me according to the word of God, which by definition means that we are not a sect. We will not, we want you to, to judge us according to the word of God. Whereas what does the Pope say? No is I have the authority over the word of God. What does someone like the Jehovah's Witnesses say? No, the Watchtower has the authority over the word of God. Uh, we say, no, test us in our doctrine. Do it. And it's and that doctrine is going to proclaim what, what we are teaching and preaching, and it is going to be centered on the vicarious uh, satisfaction of Christ. My guest, Pastor Paul Preuss of Zion Lutheran Church in Ellendale, North Dakota, and his brother, Pastor Andrew Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me today. Thanks Thank for having you. us. You're listening to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news, and we certainly do hope you have heard that good news in this last hour. Cross Defense is also listener-supported. That means we rely on your giving to KFUO to keep Cross Defense on the air and to keep coming to you via the Internet. So if you haven't yet become an annual contributor to KFUO Radio, please consider doing so and then let them know that your reason for contributing is your hunger for more Cross Defense. Because you have a hunger for the Scriptures. Because you have a hunger for the satisfaction of God's wrath at the cross of Jesus Christ, because you have a hunger for the gospel. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for a righteousness, not their own, but a justification outside of them. They will be satisfied. That is who Jesus is. That is what Jesus has done for you. It is the cross that is worth defending, apologizing for in the best sense of the word, and preaching, proclaiming, confessing, speaking to the world. Because by doing so, you will not only encourage others, but you will be encouraged yourself. I'm Pastor Jonathan Fisk saying good afternoon, and until next time, rock on.